charging down the sideline at Carrara Stadium. It's the Rugby League Cemetery. Yes, this is the Rugby League Cemetery and my very good friends, it's a very special day in cemetery history today, a very special day uh, in Rugby League history that we're covering on the cemetery this week because we are going back to the year of our Lord, 1997, a full 23 years, back to a glorious moment in league history. It's the first week of the ARL semi-finals, and today we are covering Gold Coast 25, Illawarra 14 in front of 8,197 at Parramatta Stadium. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Chargers up against the Steelers. And if that's not catnip to rugby league diehards everywhere, then I don't know what is. Uh, if, if, if you're a fanatic of the game and you're not enthused about two absolute, you know, cooked units sitting down to chat Chargers v Steelers from the split comp, uh, then you've really got no business being in the cemetery in the first place, I think it's fair to say. Go somewhere else because you're not welcome here. That's the message. Because this, my friends, this is an avowedly pro-defunct club's podcast and it's a, an avowedly pro-chargers and pro-stealers podcast in particular. Uh, Gazzy, very good to have you with me on the cemetery this evening. Uh, and this is a very unusual game for many reasons. Uh, it's probably a game that, that, sh- that, that shouldn't have happened uh, and it's probably a game that the Chargers shouldn't have won. I think that's eminently fair. Brilliant to be here with you. I've, of course, decked out at the moment in one of my three Chargers jerseys, not to flex at you or, or anyone else out there. Three. I love the Chargers. The, this is a, I mentioned last week, my friends, that, mm. that, that Gazzy is one of Australia's foremost collectors of rugby league jerseys. Um, he's, got, he's, he's, he's currently wearing one of his three Gold Coast Chargers jerseys. Mm. I do have a Giants and a Seagulls too, but we'll, we'll save that for when we do the Giants. Yeah. But uh, no, look, you're exactly right. There is absolutely no reason for this game to have happened. Uh, the, the teams are fairly appalling. Uh, the Gold Coast, of course, made this. This is the first ever final series by a Gold Coast side and remains to this day one of only three times any Gold Coast outfit has ever made a semi-final series. And they got there in one of the most wonderful ways possible, as I've put up on the page this week and will repeat for you now. They got into the final round of the regular season and had to play against Illawarra. And they are at this point, one point in front of the Magpies. Mm. Single point in front of Tommy Radonikas' Magpies, the great Tommy, <laughs> driving them up the table mm. at West. To, to, and to in that final there. round, in that final round, to get into seventh, to uh, in the top seven system, uh, they lose 28 to six and were down 20 nil at half time. So there's a sense that they've done their dash because <laughs> the following day... Have you ever, sorry. Yeah, don't do go on. <laughs> the following day, the Western Suburbs Magpies, who, yes, we don't think of as a powerhouse of the competition, but they were sitting 8th out of 12 and had a game coming up against the South Queensland Crushers, who had won three games all season and were embarking on their final ever game in the competition, having been told they were rooted and booted, gone, never to come back. 
Uh, we get into this final final day and the crushers, for no reason whatsoever that I can discern, <laughs> <laughs> managed to beat them 39 to 18. And the Magpies are only one point behind. So 39 uh, 18, pointless field goal to finish them off. I hope Craig Teven kicked it. I don't know that he did, but I can only hope. Yeah. And uh, the Magpies missed the finals by a single point. It sends the Chargers manically into the finals to play against the same team, Illawarra, seven days later, which is scheduled in the Hashtag marketer's dream, neutral venue of Parramatta. Why isn't it Parramatta? What, <laughs> what, what absolute speed demon at the ARL, possibly Arco, um, sort of being fairly warned. Oh, I suppose Arco was gone by this point, wasn't he? But, like, who was it that decided that the best place to host Illawarra versus the Gold Coast was at Parramatta Stadium? Well, the thing is, when looking at this, I thought these same questions. But the funny thing, you forget how recently they did this, neutral yeah. venues. Like, this was so recent. Do you remember the Cowboys and the Broncos um, had to reschedule? That had to be that big debate to reschedule the game to Queensland? Because they, yeah, because they, they were going to play it in Sydney. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Wouldn't that have been a scene? I mean, at least that would have been a game between, like, with the Broncos in it. They were quite a good team. Yeah. <laughs> They're settling Illawarra to play the Chargers. I mean, you and I would have been there. Oh, and, we'd have been um, there. Oh, mate, I, wild horses couldn't have kept me. Oh, no. And it was 8,000 rabid <laughs> rabid dogs in the crowd. They were into it. it. Lunatics, like, it like, yeah. What an atmosphere. There was an empty hill behind the goals for a lot of the kids. You just couldn't see anyone on it. Um, did you catch the Speed Beer uh, 97 Tigers jersey and the Crushers jersey? There was a guy yeah, in the Tigers jersey sitting with the Crushers. I don't know who they were cheering on. I hope the Chargers. Yeah. Um, but look, this is everything. And it of course, crushed. inexplicably, they win this. Mm. For Which, as we'll get into, is very difficult to understand even when you watch some of the game, how they yes. to win this. But uh, they win this and uh, go all the way into week two, at which point they are quite, you know, a bit unlucky losing by about 30 points to the Roosters in week two, which I don't know where that was scheduled, but we can only hope it was somewhere, you know, suitably. Maybe the next round was in Illawarra or something. Possibly. That's probably right. No, they played the... Oh, it was Parramatta again. Was it? They sent the Roosters out of Parramatta as well. Neutral venue. I love that. We've talked about this a bit before, but I I want to get into it again. The 1997 Mm. ARL final series where they had a top seven out of 12, is so funny. Just Can I just run you through the arrangement of the yeah. games, right? So in week yeah. one, in week one, you've got second played third, Newcastle mm. versus Parramatta. You had fourth played fifth, uh, Norths versus the Roosters. And you had sixth v seventh. The, that's just insane. The, 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 the Steelers and the Gold Coast mainly got the week off. Now that's insane. But what happens next is even more incredible, right? And bear with me. So the Gold Coast win this game in the first week of the finals. So they knock the Steelers out, right? That's the only knockout game. So they then win the right to play the Roosters, right? Mm. So, so having finished seventh, mm. the, the Chargers win and get to play fifth, who was just beaten fourth, right? Mm. Fourth... The reward for coming fourth and losing in the first week of the semis is to play a knockout game against third, right? And the reward for finishing second and winning in the first week of the finals is to get to play first in a completely meaningless game, which from which neither side could be knocked out. Which both teams go through to a, go through to a preliminary final. Indeed. No matter no matter what happens. 
That's right. So third, why did Manly play anyone in that game? I don't know. So Manly they played it and won it. They ran everyone out. Why? I don't know. What? No, they should have played reserve. Great. They should have played like Scott Fulton and everything. Well, there's a real sense that with two weeks off, they would have been underdone for the prelim against North <laughs> yeah. uh, against the Roosters. But yeah. I just want to focus on Parramatta, right? Because mm. Parramatta finished third in mm. the ARL, and they finished third by they finished equal second. Like the, it's yeah. only points difference that bumps them into third. But their reward mm. for finishing third and losing is to go straight into a knockout game against fourth, where fifth gets to play against seventh. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah, but in fifth has only earned that by playing people lower than Parramatta on the table for the right to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it, it's a. I don't know. I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> I don't have it's mental. Inside. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It's. Uh, I, I've never got past the dead game in the middle of the final series between what happened to end up being the grand finalists. <laughs> like, yeah, totally insane. That played um, a game that nobody could get any result out of. No, oh, it's staggering. But the whole thing they play three games in the first two weeks mm. and then two and then one. It, it, it's, it's mech. Yeah. Um, and the while, we're on, they, while we're on the, um, the season. Yeah. Yeah. While we're on the season, can I share a couple of things for, about the charges for you? For Absolutely. Season? So the charges, uh, that's their first ever final series, the goal for the, any Gold Coast entity. Um, but they got in having won 10 and lost 11 with a draw. So they went in, they made their first final series without winning half their games. And the great coach, Phila Condomites, mm. has gone in uh, and won coach of the year for this effort. Yeah. Um, so the coach of the year finished seventh um, out, of, out 12 of 12 and lost more games than he won, mm-hmm. um, which I just think is a good stat. And I, I don't coach deny him the coach of the year award because this team was absolutely terrible. And he's like, yes. getting them to come seventh was quite an achievement, even more an achievement when I take you through the history of the club. Um, for, let me have a look here for you. So their highest ever finish to that date was 14th. Yes. Yeah, that's so, right. Um, so that's lower than the amount of teams were in it. So he was guaranteed to have their best finish ever <laughs> when he started. The <laughs> but, but 15th, 13th, 15th, 16th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 18th. That's their history yes, from inception. Yes. Can, yeah. I, can I give you a couple of things from that first before oh, we go back right. to 97? So what you've got, that's, that's important, but there's some particularly good things in that. So the 15th in, in 88 was with four wins. Yeah. And 17 losses. Yeah. It, two years later, in 1990, they again have four wins and 18 losses. In nine, so it's 98, uh, 88, 89, 90, 91, two wins and 19 losses with Wally Lewis. <laughs> you know, like, man, we, we, I went to, there was a year that the Knights won one game yeah. uh, out of 24. Yeah. And I think I went to 17 of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which, you know. That that's a pretty think, stiff year. Winning night like win two yeah. nine lost uh, lose nineteen is pretty bad going. But, but they also signed Wally Lewis. So I, I know he was mm. very old and busted, but like I think having won four and lost eighteen, they thought that if they signed Wally Lewis, there was some sort of entitlement to not losing more games. But I haven't even hit the peak of the project yet. So hit me. then in nineteen ninety three, one win, twenty one losses. Twenty two. So, yeah. And then going to 94, five wins, uh, and then 96, four wins. Uh, sorry, 95, four wins, 96, five wins, and then, yeah, 10 in 97, the first and only time in the history of the first iteration of the Gold Coast there um, on the Gold Coast before the Titans. They're only, the only time they had a 10 double-digit win season, mm. with the second-best one being seven 
in 89 in their second season. Um, so that's, that's the history of the club. So, I mean, full power for him to get in coach of the year. Um, another here. interesting thing, well, a couple of interesting things is, though they only won, you know, they won 10 and lost 11, they beat Newcastle, beat Manly mm. and drew Manly over the course of the season. That's right. So, you know, but for the twist of fate and them unluckily you know, bounce the ball and the 30 to 10 loss to the Roosters, ah. if they'd have gone through, they would have come in with some confidence going against the finals. Well, they yeah, would, or Newcastle, they would, either of them. Win and a draw against Manly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and they beat Newcastle. So it was on. It was on. There was a lot of a sense that Bob um, sort of Bozo didn't know how to handle Wes Patton. There's a real sense of that. Martin Bella really uh, getting under the skin of the manly yeah. forwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, can I share with you, lastly, uh, sure. Jack Gibson's speech when the Coach of the Year award was handed out? Oh, yes, by all means. Just goes to show you, if the club had any money, had any money, this bloke wouldn't have got the job. <laughs> And awarding him the trophy. <laughs> Comments from the super coach. Yeah. It's, it's really good. It's a bit warm at and night. It does, yeah. That's really, really yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I do wonder. Yeah. That, <laughs> good on but you, yeah. Jack. I mean, he's so, right. But it, it's, yeah. not, it's not the best endorsement, but he is right. And it does well, just go to show. Who's got egg on his face now? Because now he's the coach of the Red Star Belgrave in 2020. Well, that's exactly right. Be, People forget that. That's it. It's um, So, look, Morgie, if, if you will, as you know, the Gold Coast Rugby League's uh, everything apart from the Titans is quite a, quite a passion of mine. Yes. And I think it behooves us uh, to just briefly, if I could give you a bit, a few statistics, not statistics, sorry, a bit of history of the Gold Coast Rugby League. Come on. Come on down. Them. So, uh, in 88, when they are, you know, going to come into the competition with the Broncos and, of course, uh, Newcastle, uh, Basically, what happens is that the Seagulls, Club Seagulls, is the big pokies den up there. Um, and the reason that this club got in is because Queensland didn't have the poker machines back then and all, all the money from that. So this is in Tweed Head. So the, just across the border was the seventh wonder of the world, pokies haven of, of the Seagulls. Where people mm. would zoom and, they didn't the have, uh, and the Broncos, of course, didn't need pokies because they had Porky. Of course, of course. Porky's, yes, Porky's right. Consortium. That's right. Yes. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, which is, it's a good flow in. So, so the Seagulls are supposed to, the club Seagulls are supposed to actually run the club and basically ask for more time and, and to basically postpone entry about nine months out of basically asked to postpone entry to the competition and they're not ready to go. Yeah. So obviously Arco doesn't want that. This is his grand plan. Oh. And what he ends up doing is he goes to the failed consortiums that went, bid for the Broncos. So there was various consortiums. There was the one that got it with, with Porky. There was a Jeans West bid. Um, by, Sorry, there know, was the, a Jeans owner, West bid? Yeah, the owner of Jeans West went for Jeez, it. And just then, could have seen, could have seen you know, Alan Langer decked out in sort of, you know, apple bottom jeans. I, uh, sort of, so that would have set the game back a white bit. Would have thought um, so. Goodness me. And there was the international syndicate run by John Sattler, uh, oh, Bob Hagen yes. and others. And Funnily enough, John Sattler didn't win the license for the Broncos. But when this all sort of went to shit on the, on the Gold Coast, mm. they, the bloody Arco, and they've just offered the, the license to the internationals. So the Giants end up being formed. The license is given to John Sattler, Peter Gallagher, Bob Hagen, and Doug Ryan after missing mm. the Broncos. 
you know, talk talk about you know losing a penny and finding a dollar if that math adds up. You lose the Broncos, but you get the Giants. I know. And in they in they come. They brought in. Uh, I was very keen on the knowledge that they brought in Ken Irvine as sprint coach, which I thought was quite yeah. good. Well, they brought in a lot of values because they brought in Graham Langlands as team manager. Yes. And uh, and Bob McCarthy is the coach who'd yep. been dicked by Wayne at the last second for the Broncos job again. Yes. You know, sort of talk about a twist of fate that works in your favour. You lose the Brisbane job. We end up with the Giants. Um, things didn't go all that well. So, uh, sort of three months out from the season, they literally sent John Sattler to Sydney on a recruitment drive looking for players. Jeez. You know, like going to Sydney and just talking to clubs. Like, do you want to come up and play, on, play for the Giants? Yeah. Um, and a very interesting fact actually up there is that due to the state of the Broncos' licence at the time, they couldn't play on the Gold Coast. The, the Broncos had a non-compete. They had to play in... In South Wales, so they're playing Tweed. Tweed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they were, they could not. So they were up there basically as the Gold Coast Tweed heads giants, but forbidden from entering the Gold Coast. Forbidden from entering the Gold Coast by why they would. Well, like I can understand why the Broncos would want that clause in, but I don't understand why the league would put it in and put a Gold Coast team in. Yeah. Um, put the claws in, but don't put the Gold Coast there. That's all. Or I'm don't put the claws in and let the Gold yeah. Coast actually play yes. on the Gold Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Either or. So. Anyway, in 1990, they become the Seagulls. That obviously yes. has a market success. They have a four-win season uh, yep. and sign Wally Lewis. Because they had the unusual situation. It's just worth noting that they were originally called the Giants, but with big Seagulls written across the front of the jersey, right? Yeah, sponsored by Club Seagulls. So, yeah, the, the, the uh, Giants sponsorship has Seagulls on it, but not all of the Seagulls jerseys do. Some of them do, but when they became the Seagulls, they end up getting sponsored by Pelamans and then by Tuies. Yeah. Um, and by seagulls one or two years. So you have the situation where the giants too. have, yeah. So the giants have seagulls on the front, but the seagulls don't, uh, yeah. <laughs> which is good. good. So anyway, and then we get to probably the next key moment, which is 1995. So in the super league war, in the middle of the war, um, I don't know exactly what connection this has to the super league war, but it's in the middle of that time. Um, the seagulls league clubs pulls out. So they lose the pokies money. Mm. Um, which I don't know anything about rugby league. You can't do. No, <laughs> that's just the end of the end of the game. So anyway, in comes the great man himself, Jeff Muller, comes <laughs> into the scene. So so Jeff Muller is a is sort of a self <laughs> self made entrepreneur, uh, so to speak, up there. Takes over the license by putting forty three acres of beachfront land on the line of security. And let me tell you, if I had 43 acres of beachfront land, I'd be putting it on a security to get the bloody te- the seagulls. So oh, like yeah, that. absolutely you would. Um, immediately make some wild moves, such as moving them to the Gold Coast. And yeah, renames that's wild. Them, yeah, renames them as the Gladiators. This is at the end of 1995, I should add. Yep. So, okay, so this is a quote from a, re- a relatively recent, sort of five, ten years ago article about that time. So in the three months that he had them, from the end yep. of 95 through the 96 preseason, they had... Uh, three chief executives, five coaches, a court battle, won the plate title of the World Sevens, a.k.a. The, not the main one. Yeah. <laughs> and then he had the day after they won the plate final, which is described as amazing scenes with him running, running on the ground and kissing players. Still the, the only silverware ever won by a Gold Coast club. Yeah. Yeah, they revoke the t- they revoke the license. The, the next Arca day, re- revokes the license the following day. Well, it's probably because of too much flamboyance celebrating the plate title. Arcade just oh, yeah. there's no place for this, you know. Well, for those of you who don't know, the plate title is what you get when you don't make the finals. <laughs> yes, it's, I think you've got to go through the. I yeah. think you've got to go through the repercharge, don't you? 
Yeah, yeah. So they uh, they haven't um, won the actual title. Of course, Newcastle <laughs> Newcastle won that. Uh, not that we're counting. And yeah, the license revoked the next day. And then the the bloody ARL, in all of its wisdom, steps into administrative itself. Which, when <laughs> we all know, if you want anyone administering anything, it's the ARL. They yeah, know yeah. clubs. Um, and it's just a stunning situation. There's, the link there, of course, to the Super League is that they obviously decided that they couldn't really afford to not have them in, hence stepping in to take it over. But I don't know why they revoked the licence of the guy with all the money that was trying to run it. It's a bizarre situation because they're obviously they've just lost the Broncos and, you know, they, they, if they wanted to call themselves the ARL, they sort of vaguely had to have some teams not in Sydney <laughs> um, yeah. somewhere. And, 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 you know, the Reds were going and the Warriors were going and all of this. So I'm not sure why they antagonised someone that was trying to run a, run a team in a state. I don't know if he was falling in conflict with the Crushers because the Crushers was QRL-backed. And yeah. Rako was pretty loyal to his mates up there. So I don't know if they rubbed the, the Crushers up the wrong way or, or what happened. But whatever happened, the ARL takes it over. Um, they renamed them the Chargers. Uh, the New Jerseys, the Gladiators had a jersey very similar to the Chargers, designed by Muller's wife. They kept a very similar design <laughs> for the, uh, the, the Chargers. Um, on a side note, I can't get a Gladiators jersey because the bloody Muller has kept them all. He's got them oh. all at home. Won't get rid of anymore. So they're all from that t- one tournament. Apparently he kept 17 out of 20 or something. So there's a couple out there in the world. And the rest of them with a Gladiator badge are all sitting in his... Uh, in his basement. So I'll have to bootleg one of those one day if we can work out how to do that. But otherwise, um, unfortunately not. But look, that is basically the history of the Gold Coast into 97. And of course, they play into the NRL for a year and uh, duly booted from the competition until they come back as the Titans, as an entirely new entity and do pretty much what the (laughs) the Giants and Chargers did. Yeah, but not what the Gladiators did. Yeah, that's right. No, no, no silverware. No, that's right. No plate. Um, so I apologise for that, but no, don't I think never apologise. Never apologise. I would like to, uh, <clears throat> I'd like to share with you a bit of Gold Coast rugby league history as well from the Charger era. I'm indebted to Nick Walshaw in Rugby League Week from March 15, 2001, uh, and the headline is as follows: Captain Charger, the toast of the coast, 1997 to 98. Now, Gazzy, uh, you know we often talk. I, you know that I'm, I'm preternaturally fond of mascots. Um, the stupider the mascot, the better. Captain Charger, I'm sure you will agree, is the undisputed king of mascots. He is the greatest rugby league mascot there has ever been or will ever be. There will never be better than Captain Charger. Would, is, would you like to disagree no. with me on that? No, 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 I've got no... I think my thoughts are fairly well known on that. I'm like adamantly and sort of militantly pro-Captain Charger. That's right. And there's not really much else to say. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to... Um, I just want to read you a few comments by the man who played Captain Charger, uh, Paul Gale. Um, he took it over in 1997. Uh, he was a local yeah, good radio. Good time to get on. Good yeah, time well, to get right. on. He was a local radio announcer uh, mm. who was only supposed to do it for one match, but an outstanding debut saw him signed up for the season and ushered into the pages <laughs> of league history. Um, can I just share you a few a, a few comments? Uh, sure can. <clears throat> Uh, I used to put a huge sock down the front of my pants. It got bigger each week. <laughs> well, don't we all? <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. Um, just listen to this. One time the sock was so big, the tights snapped and I had to go into the sheds and get the suit pinned together. <laughs> Why? And then cop this. Oh. Everyone used to yell out, show us your sock. <laughs> and I... <laughs> 
<laughs> and, I'd, <laughs> and I'd start gyrating around. <laughs> the club, listen to this. The club, the club got a few complaints from people who were saying it offended families. <laughs> Wowzers. Yeah. Oh, the fun oh. police. You can't do anything anymore. Offended <laughs> 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 well, families. It just sort of sounds like sounds a lot like you at the station hotel yeah. most Saturdays. Gyrating around with a sock down your pants, that's right. It's, oh, it's, it's, Gail, if you're if you're out there, we'll oh, very much we like to have you, you on the cemetery. <laughs> Listen to this. I'd be in the mascot I'd be in the mascot sheds before the game with Jeff from Jeff the Giraffe from Toys R Us and the Coke bottle. Gail says I'd look Jeff in the eye and say, it's going to be a big one out there today, mate. And this bloke would be standing there and this bloke would be standing there in a giraffe suit about to put the head on. <laughs> Looking all serious. And the guy in the Coke oh, bottle Jesus. couldn't see. So you'd lay on the floor and trip him over. <laughs> His key moves oh, were the scissor kick, the double fadeaway look and the run down the sideline handing, uh, hurdling imaginal, imaginary obstacles manoeuvre. Uh, mm. The captain also placed golf balls down the back of his suit. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, uh, he also says, uh, one of the mascot's more memorable moments involved a fan nicknamed Safari Suit Man who forced the referees to halt a game when he jumped the fence, beer in hand, and tried to tackle the superhero. Uh, he, he ran away, uh, Captain Charger ran away. Safari Suit Man made it onto the ground a second time and tackled Gale's sidekick, Zapper Man, who had his back turned to the crowd. Security removed the serial pest again, but he wasn't finished. On his third go, he jumped the fence and got into the promotions vehicle. He did three laps of the ground with the security and police all chasing after him. He got into a fair bit of trouble and had to go to court. Why did they kick? Like, why didn't they kick him out of the ground? I'm not the sure. Let's just put him why, back. Why did they keep retrusting him? It's like they know. Just watch yourself this time, mate. Just settle down, mate. Go and oh, sit in the grandstand. Wonderful uh, story. The, the captain himself even received a death threat from an agitated South Sydney player. He said, "I was just mm. running along the sideline with my head down, and the next thing I knew, I was in the middle of the South players as they were warming up. I decided to do a bit of hip and shoulder work, bouncing off the players from the other, from one to the other." One of the blokes glared at me and said, piss off or I'll kill you. <laughs> Do we know who that was? I'm not sure. Yeah, he, he, he doesn't say that. But, um, I thought it was Garlo. Yeah, he, was also, he also once got threatened being sent off after doing his famous Captain Charger aeroplane move behind the goalposts as someone was taking a kick. Um, mm. Did that involve the sock at all? Well, I assume so. Offending families, you'd have to think so. Yeah. I just thought that, that that sort of had to be mentioned. Uh, Captain Charge of the King of, of Mascots, and I wonder where he is now. We'll, we'll get him on. We'll get him on. We've got a, a tremendous reach on this show, and we'll be getting him on if we can. The thing is, Gaz, and I know that we haven't talked about the actual game yet, and we've been sort of on mm. here for about half an hour. Okay. We'll get there. But the thing about this is there's two great... Ma- and one of the sins of having this match at Parramatta is that neither mascot, as nearly as I can tell, was there. Because mm. I didn't see any Captain Charger. I also didn't see any Stanley Steeler. No, I didn't see any Stanley the Steeler, which is a shame because he's one of the great mascots, as I'm sure you're about to exactly. tell me. Stanley the mm. Steeler sent mm. off in 1995 by referee Tony mm. Maxwood after becoming involved in a brawl. 
between mm. the Illawarra Steelers and the Balmain Tigers in a home game at Wollongong. He got, I've seen footage of this and I'll post it through the week. The, a brawl break out, breaks out on the touchline and Stanley, mm. the Steeler, who was standing on the sideline, gets involved and starts hauling people off, like dragging Balmain players away out of the brawl in the Steeler suit. And he was sent mm. from the field by referee Max Hood. Um, I don't mean... Mm. I, I think you would have to say this, this is possibly a clash between two of... This is, this is possibly two of the greatest mascots ever to mascot. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the odds are that you would have sort of had Captain Charger sort of wildly gyrating and sort of stealing the sailor trying to hoif him off the field. Exactly. It would have been a clash of cultures in a lot of ways. In many ways, that's right. Um, yeah, it's just incredible. I thought you'd enjoy that. Oh, um, yeah, I'm struggling to bounce back from that. The idea of people telling Captain <sighs> Charger, mate, you can't win. You need to knock this off. There's kids here. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> he's got a softy on his trousers, kind of pelvic <laughs> thrusting. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that we've been able to get into all of that. Uh, yeah. I might take yeah. you through. I might take you through the teams if that's if, mm. if that's okay. Um, I suppose we're better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I think you do need to get a run through of those sides to understand quite how bizarre this game was. Uh, the the minor minor qualifying final, by the way, was mm. how the ARL chose to market this game. The Gold Coast side is as follows. Fullback, Andrew King. <clears throat> Wings, Marcus By and Darren Anderson. The centres, Graham Mackay, who was the captain, and Jason Nickel. The halves, Tom O'Reilly and Wes Patton. The front row, Martin Bella, Steve Parsons with Jamie Goddard at hooker. Second row, Scott Sattler, Des Clark and the lock, Jeremy Schloss. Bench, Chris Nahi, John McKelleher, Clayton Maher and Brett Plowman. Coached, of course, by 1997 Coach of the Year, Phil Economides and current coach, of course, of Red Star Belgrade in the Serbian League. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> Illawarra, it is a bit of a poison chalice, that Red Star Belgrade job. Um, but apparently, Economides did about three months with them a couple mm. of years ago. And it's the, the impression that he left has never been forgotten. So they've got him back over full time. I don't know how affected the Serbian League's been by, by coronavirus. But I hope sort of hope it wasn't forgotten because it was sort of only a year ago. But I take well, your that's, point. That's true. <laughs> Um, that's a very fair point But yes, I hope that uh, Serbian Rugby League Hasn't been, because it was making great strides I hope it hasn't been sat mm. on its backside By COVID-19 no, uh, Cold conditions up there, the virus doesn't like that that's, right. that's, that's, a, that's a very good point Yeah uh, For Illawarra, team is as mm. follows Fullback Dean Moon, wings Philly Saru And Wayne Clifford Centres Sean Timmons and Brett Rodwell The halves, Paul McGregor, the captain playing 5-8 I suspect we'll have more to say about him later on Halfback mm. Trent Barrett uh, the front row, Scott Cram, not to be confused with, obviously, Scott Cam. Um, <laughs> I did, yeah. Uh, front row uh, with Craig Smith, hooker Dean Calloway. Second row, John Cross and Terry Lamy and the lock, Brad Mackay. The bench, Andrew Hart, Chris Leichvold, Darren Bradstreet and Brendan Reeves and the coach, Andrew Farrer. <clears throat> now, Gazless, yes. Uh, those are Those are not sides... Uh, that you expect to see in a semi-final. They're not lists of players that you would expect in a semi-final. Mm. I would say that we have watched a lot of games now on this journey through mm. the cemetery, mm. and mm. I don't remember seeing a team in which I recognised so few players for such a modern game. No, not that recently. No, not at all. No, both teams, very much the case. Um, on that note, what I thought I, I thought would be a sensible thing to do is I just thought I'd go with a couple of notable chargers who had good games yes. um, and give you a bit of history on them. And um, 
also make the point quickly that the great Philly Saru um, playing for Illawarra in this game is a dual international, having uh-huh. played a dual World Cup international, having played the 91 Rugby World Cup for Fiji and then the 95 Rugby League Cup for Fiji. Um, and I believe he might have been a crush, crusher. Before. Oh. He, played, he played for a defunct club apart from Illawarra, I'm pretty sure. So, um, no, he was a crusher. Up. He was a crusher in yeah. 95. 31st grade games for six tries. Good, yeah. And then go. the Steelers. Only yeah. played for clubs that don't exist. Um, <clears throat> so what I thought I might do is, so I'm going to do a couple of quick charges that had good games. It behooves us to focus on the guys who had good games. So I'm going to go against all my instincts and not talk about Marcus Bye because he doesn't particularly do anything, mm. um, and, and go with some. So we're going to start off. We have to start off with the monster, Martin yeah. Bella. Yeah. Um, he, I, I don't know what about you, but he just looks like a really fat Buddha in this game. Um, he's sort of 10 years past his best football. Yeah. Um, uh, he looks Oh, like he, he's fatter than Glenn Lazarus in 1999. That's anyone yep. from the scope. He's massive. Um, and he has a stormer. He has a stormer. He, <laughs> he does. He's he, fat as well. He, by all accounts, he is totally gone in his career. Uh, I've read a bit into him and he was really busted and gone by this point. Really shouldn't have been playing. And he played an absolute out of the screws game. Stood up to Craig Smith and the forwards for, for Illawarra. He is the catalyst for a lot of the work that they do in this game. He really rides his teammates. And what I thought I might do, because I thought I just wanted to note what a good game he had, and I'll just give you a few things on him. So he is a bear, eagle, dog, cow, charger. There's a career for you. That is um, yep. He played 235 games for seven tries, but... Two of them were for the Chargers. So there was life in the old dog. After banging mm. him, two of his seven tries came in his 35 or so Chargers games. Fantastic. End, so he had plenty left in it. 21 origins and nine tests. The tests were from 88 to 91. Yep. So this is well <laughs> quite a while away. His yeah. career. And what just when mm. I said he was quite gone, very overweight and quite gone, and I want to make sense, I think he had a stormer and the cattle some full credit to him. But to show how out of the box him playing like this was in yes. 97, he played 21 Origins but did not make the 95 or 97 teams when they couldn't pick Super League wow. players. So, yeah. the, you know how loyal Queenslanders are? And he played with Fatty and all this stuff. And, and they were throwing, they were throwing and, nets over people to play for Queensland in 95. Oh, they picked it. Someone said, told him Ben Eichen was going well in the 19s and they picked him off three first grade games. Yeah. Fatty went, is he? Sweet, we'll get him in. Yeah. So they're, they're picking anyone they can get their hands on. They're, they're recruiting. like they, they In 97, they get Craig Smith to pretend to be from Queensland when he's a Kiwi and they get Adrian Lamb in in 95. They're all this stuff to get people to play and they don't pick a guy that had 21 origins. Um, you know, They're picking crushes from reserve. They went to training and picked guys from the crushes based on how they looked at training that week, yeah, like which crushes were looking good and he didn't get a game. So I, I want to set up how out of the box, how much he is winding back the clock to have this an outstanding game. semi-final game. Yeah, that's right. So the Munster first off big tick. Secondly, so Graham Mackay, uh, I knew very little about Graham Mackay and mm. I thought he had a really good game. Um, I thought he looks a lot like Sterling Mortlock. He does. <laughs> yeah. This, this was the error for fairly slow, bald centres uh, mm. in the game. This was, you're going to be slow and bald and play in the back. There's never been a better time. This is when to do it, yeah. Especially in the split really, comp. 
Yeah, but he has a really strong game. He's a big running centre. He's the captain. He was really noticeably gets over McGregor, who goes to centre mid-game to mark him, and he really gets over the top of him, and he's really noticeably carrying you know, a lot of presence out there. Um, so I had a look into him, and, you know, this is very much a an, another Bruce Maguire situation. So I had a look at him, Graham Maguire, four origins and a test, and he won the grand final for Penrith in 91 mm. on the wing. 200 games and he's played for a lot of other clubs but he's also a magpie and a crusher which are the, the two clubs I'd like to note that he played for one of played, in the, so, uh, played in the zero miracle yeah yeah yeah. so he looked very much um just wanted to be noted I suppose that that's my own ignorance this is a guy that played four origins and test won a competition and I should have heard of him um so I'll put that on record and it was you know it was good just uh, that must have been why he was the captain he's an experienced player in, in a team that didn't have many and, uh, yeah, so that's him going along. Uh, Jamie Goddard has to be mentioned. Uh, Jamie mm. Goddard is a 160-game NRL player. He's a seagull, charger, bear, and beagle, of course, being the uh, bear. Wow, eagle that's Northern a Eagles. career, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep, there's a lot of good yep. clubs in there. Uh, unfortunately, on, give me that the again. Giants. Seagull, charger, bear, and Northern Eagle. Wow. Four. Every one of his four. games was for a club that no longer exists. Yeah, yeah. That's fantastic. Some of them were for clubs that should exist, like AK, the Chargers and Bears. But uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, Jamie Goddard was a very tough player. Most people will have heard of him because he, of course, you know, decked the living shit out of our Lord and Saviour in an origin game. Yes. Left him pissing out sort of 30 stitches, but uh, we won't hold that against him. Very tough player, very tough. The sort of hooker you had that day, I, I wouldn't say he was... Um, not clever, that's not the right word, but he wasn't a ball player, but he was crafty. Like, he was tough and crafty. Those guys who would get in the scrap, they, those guys that you'd see in the pub that were only mm. five foot four, but you wouldn't look at twice because they deck you, that sort of... Can I put it to you this was, way? Yeah. He's the type of hooker of which Simon Wolford was the last. Yeah, there's a bit to that. There's a bit to that. There's also a bit of Jeff Tuvey without the the pace to him like that tough he made all of his tackles and he would come out and kick and try and run and, and he would be rugged and yeah, it, but it, there's not many of them there's, you don't get many no. like that now but this was a this was an era of little blokes that were really hard and yeah not, that's yeah. that's the words that what i was looking for was little blokes that are hard as and you yeah. wouldn't if you saw him you wouldn't try and pick him in a fight no um I think just a little stat. Uh, look, he has a really good game, and we'll talk about a great moment he has at the end, I'm sure, as we go. But I thought, just to give you a guy that this guy, you know, this he played four Origins. Um, yep. I just wanted to point out that it's easy to write off some Origin records in that time with the split comp. I just want to make the point that he played three of them in in, um, in the split comp era. But in 1998, in a full competition with all Super League and everyone available, he's recalled to play hooker in a full Queensland side for the final game, and they win the deciding game. So yeah. he, you know, this isn't some, you know, he's not some guy who got handed a couple of games for Queensland when he shouldn't have, and that, you know, pads his record. He, he got picked in a full Queensland side in a decider against, you know, the might of New South Wales in that era with, you know, Philly Gaylor, Johns and all those sort of blokes um, played in a winning game in that one at Hooker. And he was in the squad for a couple of years after and just didn't actually get back in the team. So very good player, had a very good game. And uh, finally, I will not be going anywhere without talking about Wes Patton. Yes. Um, Wes Patton is a 91-game t- Balmain Tiger, Charger, Rabbitoh and St. George Illawarra Dragon. Um, so the first three of his clubs did go defunct, but one of them came back. Um, again, he uh, has a lovely game. He is a sideways running number seven that likes to run across the field sideways and just hope something opens up at some point, which yep. it sometimes does and sometimes doesn't. Um, 
two things I think you need to know about Wes Patton, if you'll indulge me. Mm. Or three things. One, one of the first jerseys I bought in my jersey hunting era was off a bloke who had a, a set Tiger Sevens jersey. And anyway, I went to buy it off him and he gave it to me. And I ended up stuck at his house for 30 minutes because he started wanting to tell me the story of when he bought the Tigers World Sevens jersey. And it was the year in 94 or 95, one or the other, when he goes, oh man, I went down to the Sevens and Wes Patton, he was just killing him and spent 20 minutes running me through how much Wes Patton had killed it that year Sevens. And I how much he would have been really handy the Sevens, yeah. Wes Patton, just quite. But yeah. this is in 2019, and this yeah, guy well, played 91 ARL games, not all of them for Balmain. And this bloke was quite insistent on running me through how good he was in the sevens. Yeah, <laughs> uh, great it's bloke. Good, it's good values, that isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is. Um, and I think the the things you need to know are that he is one of only three halfbacks to ever take a Gold Coast side to a final series. Mm. The other two being Scott Prince and Ash Taylor. And he is one of only two halfbacks to ever win a finals game for the Gold Coast, him and Scott Prince. Two, and two yes, luminaries. Well, I was going to say you can wait for my... I did a section on why Scott Prince is underrated by history. You can wait for the Wes Patton one. It's coming one day. Yeah, possibly a separate... Maybe a bring out your dead on Wes Patton. Yeah. I think that's good. Yeah. 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 So, no, right. I, thank you for I that. I think we had to do that. Yeah. No, I agree. Now, the Steelers... We, we're talking a lot about the Chargers, but the Steelers had a funny history as well. This is, their, this is their record from 1982, right? And we ran through this a little bit in the context of Graham Murray, but I think it bears mentioning again. 13th, 12th, 9th, 13th, 13th, 11th, 13th, 16th. That's to the end of the 80s. Then the 90s, they come 9th, 8th. They make the prelim in 92. We're going to cover that game one day, by the way, mm-hmm. on this podcast, Same. the 92 preliminary mm-hmm. final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they finish mm-hmm. third. And then 7th, 6th, 12th, and 14th in uh, 96. Uh, they they weren't they were not a side that had historically been strong. In '97, mm-hmm. they won ten, lost nine, and had three draws. Thank you very much. Not mm-hmm. one, not two, but three draws. Finished yeah. sixth on twenty three points. Uh, average crowd of eight thousand six hundred ninety five. I I always thought that um, I've always had this idea that that, that Wollongong would support a <clears throat> would support a standalone team, and that the Steelers were unlucky to go out and all of this. And I think that's probably, but I think that more than anything, that crowd figure probably shows how much uh, people sort of went off the game during the Super League year. Like that's a very oh, low crowd for Wollongong. I'd have to have a look at what the other crowds were, but like look, it's not they, out of filter with the era though, is it? Like eight, eight and a half thousand. Yeah. Look, it's not, yeah, it's not that different to Sydney and everywhere else. But look, it, it's hard to know with that. I, I don't have an informed view on that at the moment. I can only tell you that, like, like it's it's a little bit like looking at the crushes and trying to say whether a second Brisbane team works. Like, the you can't really. There's too many confounding factors. Like the the, the yeah. Steelers, the Steelers tried to apply for bankruptcy six months before the first game. Um, yeah. And Arco decided to put that team in there because rugby league was struggling in the area at that time in the local league, and he thought it'd give it a boost. So like, Solid. yeah, look, that, yeah. It, it's just one of those things that like you have, you can't just, it, whether it could That's or couldn't thinking, support a team. It's, it's real. Like, yeah, it's, real it, kind it's of... the opposite of what you do. <laughs> um, it, it, look, and I suppose what I'm getting at with all that is just that I, I don't, I'm not going to sit there and tell you that it can or can't support a team. I'm just going to say that so many mistakes were made that I don't think this is the evidence that it can't. Yeah. Um. And that's not to say I think it can. I just, I, I'd have to, I don't have a view, but it's, it's not no because of the Steelers. Too many mistakes were made. Um, as I, I said a little bit about the Steelers, that the thing for them is 
the Super League war really hurt them. Graham Murray was the only coach that did anything with them. All those good years you mentioned were Graham Murray. Um, it, he tried to get them to go to Super League. That would have been the best thing for them, quite obviously, because every insecure team in the competition that went is still in the competition. Um, and they were on the verge. They might not have known, but they were on the real verge of a golden era there. Um, we can see the little shoots just there coming through that Trent Barrett is 19 years old playing, playing halfback. Um, they're not, Sean Timmons is in that side. Um, they're just starting to get Luke, um, I think Luke Patton's the next year, Craig Fitzgibbon's coming, um, you know, Ryan Girdler's possibly just left to go to Penrith with, and not got through. Like they had, they were right on the verge of having a lot of very good young players with Graham Murray, who was a good coach off a pretty successful era. And it really fell apart with staying with the ARL, with having to sack Murray, which is a bit unavoidable sort of consequence of the Super League war and all this stuff going on sort of, you never know. Like that, if the Super League war doesn't happen, there's every chance they just stumbled onto a bit of a Newcastle situation where mm. they just had a, all a really good generation come along. Um, and you just don't know what might've happened there. So it, it, it's a, it's a bit of a what if, isn't it really? One of the it many is, what ifs yeah. of the nineties. Yeah, it is a strange one. Um, Can I, um, yes, I suppose. Oh, sorry. Go, keep going. You got any more on the Steelers? Uh, just that they, um, just their run through the year. They had a funny kind of season. Mm. Um, they they won six from nine to end the year. So they really did finish. Mm. They came in hard to to, to make to, mm. to, to come sixth. Um, yeah, that was the only thing I was going to say. Yeah. No, look, I was just thinking, I suppose, if we were going to head towards the game, um, I just had a, I wanted to have a really good chat with you um, before going through sort of the tries and stuff like that about the way this game is framed by the commentary. Oh, um, yes. I find this to be almost unique in the all of the games I've watched historically and now. Have you ever seen a game, and I'll take you through them one by one, where the commentators have run such an ardent narrative that one team can't win, like in a semi? <laughs> no, and not a... It's not an argument that they're underdogs or that this is going to be really difficult. It's just that the, the Steelers are going to beat them. They're not good enough to be at this level. Yeah, it starts in the pre-game. Fatty asks Sturlow, can they win? And he goes, no, they can't win the game. They can do better. They can do better than they have, but they can't win the game. Um, they won't win the game. Fatty goes, no, I don't think they can win the game. Um, they then cut through to the start of the game and Sturlow starts talking to Rabs about them and Rabs goes, well, this is only the second time I've seen them, the Chargers. Mm. So he admits to sort of having not seen them before. And then... It gets to so so. This is the sort of narrative going on. Then it gets to four all, um, and at four all, when the, when the when the uh, the Steelers score their first try, Rab says, "Ah, oh, that try. Ah, oh, with defence like that, the Chargers can't win this game. They can't win it with defence like that. They're up four nil till a minute ago, so the game's tied." And he says, "The defence is so bad they can't win." Mm. And then at, at and, and cop this. So at, this is the best one. So at eight four. It might even be 14-8, one or the other. Anyway, there's a really calamitous error that we'll talk around. And Rab says, oh, Moon might regret making that error leading to a try if it ends up, you know, being a close result. And he goes, but when you look at the game so far, I don't think it's going to matter. 
So yeah, I don't think it will be a close result. So, yeah. So yeah. So the Chargers. I just want to make sure our audience get this. The Chargers are winning the game by the four or eight points. Apologies, I can't quite remember which. Maybe four. Mm. Um, and they're up by four. They score off a off a Steelers error. They're in front in the game, and Rab says that is a really bad error. He might live to regret that, but I don't think he will. It won't matter that much. So in the first half of the game, the team is losing, and he's so confident they're going to win. He doesn't think a calamitous like sort of Justin Hodges-esque error, level error, is going to matter. Like, I've never heard a game no. commentated like that before. No, it is. It's very, very odd. Um, you're right. They really... And because the Steelers play about as bad as it's possible to play, like, they just stink. They just keep dropping the ball. And I can yeah. see there is a sense that if they just stop doing that, if they just play to, say, 40% of their ability rather than 6 they will probably they've probably got too much for the poor old charges because they break them open fairly yeah. easy a couple of times. Oh but, yeah, there's a yeah yeah absolutely. But there's, there's a couple of tries that are fairly soft that they score in the game and things like that. The yeah. the, the charges defense is not overly good, um, yeah. and the tries some of the tries the charges score are fairly fortuitous. Um, but yeah, it is it's very unusual for a final because they just they basically say the results not in doubt and oh this is all this is all a bit of a joke like. The Chargers, yeah, they're in front, but the Steelers have got too much. It's not. It's no contest. Uh, it, it is very strange. Now, yeah, like I mean, uh, as we said, the Chargers did beat Manly, draw Manly, and beat Newcastle that year. The first yeah. and second, and they're playing sixth, and they came seventh. So why they're not a great side? Neither were the Steelers, and the Steelers hadn't beaten Manly or Newcastle. Well, so, the Steelers have only know, won. The Steelers yeah. only won one game more than. In fact, they yeah. won the same number of games as the Chargers. Mm. They just had a couple more draws. Um, they'd won the same number of games over the season uh, against the same opposition. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. probably leads us into the game. Uh, mm. The standard is terrible, isn't it? Like, the, they really do drop the ball a lot, both these teams, and there's some very bad defence. It doesn't yeah, look anything yeah. like a semi-final. Like, the, no. the quality of the football multiplied by the fact that the ground is a quarter full and, you mm. know, it really doesn't have a lot of intensity. It doesn't. It's unrecognisable to any final you would see now with you know the crowd, yeah. like a big crowd, and you know sparkle, you know like fire cannons blowing into the air and all this kind of stuff. It it, it doesn't have a um, yeah. It doesn't have a big occasion sense about it at all. It, it feels like kind of Friday night football in the middle of the season when there's been a bit of rain about. Yeah, with the Origin guys out or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, look, it's funny. I watched a Super League game recently with the Mariners playing the Raiders and it was just absolutely abysmal. It was just cancerously bad. And I watched this and, yeah, this has got a lot of similarities. Um, I'll talk a bit about the end of you know, whether whether the ARL makes any difference, but it's just sort of, yeah, it, the, the quality's not there because they're trying to stretch a final series where half of the good teams aren't in the competition. So they're trying to stretch the, the and you've got to remember that it's only, they've only just moved to a top eight a couple of years ago until 1995. There was a top five. Yeah. So we went from having a top five that would be manly, the Broncos, like every year it would be manly, the Broncos and the Raiders, the three of them. And then you have like the bears and who were a really good side and someone else marching through it, like a bulldog or something marching through there. Um, to having seven teams when the Raiders and the Broncos aren't, and the Bulldogs aren't in the competition. Yeah. So there's, what, 10 teams in the Super League and, and 12 in the ARL, there are? So, uh, yeah. So you're trying to stretch, like, 22 teams worth of talent 
and making a top seven out of 12 of them when three or, you know, half of the good sides. So if you had a top eight here, you'd probably think three of the Super League sides would have made it. So you're basically looking at, and, and maybe three or four of the other Super League sides would have finished above the charges. So yeah. you're probably looking at a team that would have come 16th in a 2010 competition or something like that. Like they yeah. might have finished 7th out of 12th, but they probably would have only beaten three teams in the Super League. They might have come 15th, 14th out of 22. Well, they finished 18th out, out of yeah. 20 in 1996, if that's any good. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and they finished similarly in '98. Um, and like, albeit they had a better year, it's just that the playing talent's not there. You're watching, you are watching mid-season football when a team has six players out from Origin and they're not in the finals anyway. You're watching mm. Canterbury coming twelfth, but you know they were good the year before, so six Origin guys are gutted out of the team. That's sort of what you're watching, and yeah. it's. Um, but look, nonetheless, it's. It, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I look forward to going through. Look, it's a funny, it's a funny start. It, it's um, they basically get a penalty, go down the field, and just score immediately by swinging the ball to the centers for no reason, and they just score. Yeah. Um, it, it it's not. It's the only thing I really say about that try is just I, I I just want to give kudos to Fatty Vorton, who says immediately that Anderson has been included in the team as a specialist kicker. Um, Anderson then takes the kick at goal from the sideline and literally nearly hits the other corner post with his goal. Like having Fatty having suggested that he was a late in from the bench. For his yeah, goal. for his kicking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, um, um that first try is but, remarkably yeah. soft because they just spread the ball from the left. I mean, it goes through a lot of sets of hands. They go, but they spread from the left wing. Uh, from a play the ball about 10 out on the left-hand touchline and just spread it through the hands, everybody kind of running yeah. a bit sideways. And Nickel, who's quite big and strong, just fends Rodwell into the car park and goes over to score. Before the Steelers have had a touch of the ball, as you say, they get a penalty in the first set yeah. after the kickoff. Uh, and Anderson, yeah, takes a kick from the sideline, which he kicks to the other sideline. It's a remarkable kick. I, like, yeah. As far as bad kicks go, it's extraordinarily bad. Yeah. Uh, and, and the charges are up 4-0. And you go, oh, well, that's... That's, that, that's interesting. I mean, that kind of that was pretty ordinary defence from the Steelers, but probably an aberration. Uh, and it looks very much like that when Illawarra score in the 17th minute. They go through. It's a similar kind of thing. They go through the hands. It's a really nice ball from John Cross. Gets out to Seru, the uh, the dual international, who goes through some pretty ordinary defence and scores. And uh, Peter Sterling, showing his sense of the occasion, sums it up. Both tries we've seen tonight shouldn't be semi-final tries. <laughs> so he's really going to uh, going to great lengths to, to really promote the game on behalf of Channel 9 uh, and yeah. get people in. Yeah. Well, well, when you say he was promoting the game and getting people in, I, I put to you that he very much gets people in with his analysis of this try, performing what I consider to be yes. one of the top couple if not the best then the second best if we freeze it there that has ever been performed and mm. i've screenshotted this to get on our page for our viewers but i don't know if you can describe it i'm not not much no, of a not really but he he literally if i can describe to you to to our listeners what happens is that long story short there is a two-man overlap for not a lot mm-hmm. of reason like barrett gets the ball throws a long pass cross throws a long pass and there's two defenders sorry two attackers and no defenders they're just not there yeah. Um, and there's no clear Peter explanation. No, well, Peter Sterling uh, gives an explanation, albeit not particularly clear. He, yeah. If we freeze it there and he draws two giant circles, one of which has a, a weird line through through the middle of it, um, 
and then he draws a squiggle and then he draws two giant lines on the outside where the space is and goes, if play continues and it is the best ever, um, equal with one other, draws, one other. Yeah. Oh, when he, the, the, the other one you're going to say is when he colours in the space in the end goal. Is that the one? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Brett Mullins miracle. The Brett Mullins double kick try. Peter Sterling freezes the chip kick. Go, if we freeze it there and shows how there's a player just in front of him and shows scribbles in all the space behind him showing there's nobody in that space that I've scribbled yeah. in. And if he kicks it there, yeah. there won't be anyone there but and him. You'd, and you'd be able to see that if I hadn't scribbled on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. It is, it's a very good the one. only challenger because this diagram is just demented. I've sent it to many people this week in my excitement and we'll put it on the page. I look forward to it. It is very good. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you've described it beautifully. The, the, there's just no reason that you would, there's just no reason in which that um, makes it clearer what has happened. And it wasn't unclear. No, that's right. Like there's one bloke. And it's an overlap. Three, and one bloke in green and three blokes in red. End of story. Yeah. They, they ran know. outside the last bloke in green. Yeah. Like they, they passed it to the guy who didn't have anyone in front of him and he went down the sideline. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, uh, but no, I, I, you know, I'd just like to think that if anything was going to get people, sort of maybe that's why no one was at the ground. You didn't stay home so you could watch Sterlo draw the diagrams. If we froze it there. Now, yeah. <clears throat> at this point, after 17 minutes, uh, and Moon uh, takes the kick and hits the post. After a mm. quarter of this game, or nearly a quarter of this game, there hasn't been a huge amount of, you know, it's odd, and it's sort of, there's a lot of ball dropping and all of this, and it's weird because they're playing at Parramatta and the Chargers have got, mm. uh, the Chargers have got sleeve numbers, which is weird. I'm suggesting, mm. I put it to you, my learned colleague, they're the last club, last club side ever to have sleeve numbers. Um, I know Queensland State of Origin side did this uh, more recently, but I don't think a club side's ever had sleeve numbers like this. As an ode to the charges, perhaps. Possibly, possibly the Queensland side, yeah. Anyway, after a quarter of the game, it's not overly good and it's odd, but mm. it hasn't hit any particular great heights. And then, mm. and then the charges kick off and Chris, <laughs> and Chris, and Chris Likevold makes a clean break off the kickoffs. Um, As he was wont to do. <laughs> yeah, everybody gets one. Um, he breaks clean through for no reason. Uh, complete, the Mark Tukey. Yeah, complete air swing tackle, I think, from Jamie Goddard. Uh, and he gives the ball to, to, to Paul McGregor. And Rabs says, well, that's probably the worst man that could have got it for the Steelers. Which is very good because he was their captain in 5'8". <laughs> like he wasn't. Yeah, a- but he then, he then corrects himself and says, oh, I meant for the Chargers. And I really oh. steamed on that going, because I really steamed on this and said, why, like, because he gets it and falls over two seconds later, having he been does. roped in by five people. And he's notoriously slow. And I have no idea why that would be the worst person who could have got it. I would have given it, to, like, I would have rather given it to Craig Smith. To anyone. And he slips over. In front of him. He just slips over for no reason with nobody around him. Yeah. And then, Can I say, yes. I live for breaks off kickoffs. Oh, so do like, I big fat blokes going straight through off the kickoff is the best thing in the world. Mark Tukey is the gold standard. Uh, I Josh, think Paliasina had one. Yes, in, a, in that ridiculous 30 all or 31-30 mm. against the Roosters. Um, or was it against I love Aceta Paliasina. Might have been against South, that mm. one. Yeah. I think that's the game where Paul Langmack really whoops it up when they score to get back to 30 all from 24 <laughs> mil in front. Um, another good one, Josh Perry made a um, yep. Yep. plain line break off the kickoff on Dubu, which... Uh, 
you know, possibly it set the bar fairly high for him. Sign of things to come, baby. Indeed. Anyway, so that's a real moment. And, and Mary is incredibly slow and immediately slips over. And then about three plays later in the set, he turns the ball, he turns it over, throwing a stupid pass. And so that's the first sign that something odd might happen tonight. Yeah. Then in the 21st minute, Wes Patton gets it on halfway. There's not much on. And he sticks it into the sky. He just belts the ball up in the air. And Dean Moon, back at fullback, lets it bounce, which is a reasonable thing to do, I suppose, because there's not really anyone around him. It's a long way out. The ball bounces. Yeah. Bounces very high. I don't know what that was going on in Parramatta at the time, possibly during an El Nino. But the ball comes <laughs> slamming into the air, hits the crossbar, uh, sorry, the, hits the goalpost. Mm-hmm. Kisses the goalpost, lands in the in goal. And Glances Dean, the goalpost. Yeah, Glances. It's, just, yeah. it's just a, yeah. yeah. Um, and Dean Moon follows all of this, watches all of this happen, sees the ball in the in goal. And for some reason, he, he doesn't do anything. And he just He's looks, very casual. He, he looks just keeps like, taking his time. Taking his time. Take your time. Take, he looks like Abe Simpson. Chasing the tortoise that's stolen his teeth. <laughs> Just like something very slow following yeah. something very slow. And it's just dribbling in the Ingola way, dribbling, takes yeah. a funny bounce dribble, and he's following along, following along. I've got a lot of time to do this. But does he? No, because Jeremy well, Schloss. We did, but in the end. <laughs> Jeremy Schloss comes from nowhere and slams, and slams his hand on the ball, and the charges are in front eight four. It's incredible. It's a t- it's diabolical fullback play. It's one of the most stunning pieces of play I've ever seen. If you haven't seen it, I urge you to. Yeah. Literally, I reckon he has 45 seconds from the kick, time of the kick to when it's put down by the opposition. Like, it's up, it bounces, it hits the post, it bounces again, it bounces again. And he is never... It's what I've got to stress to people listening who haven't seen it. He is never more than five metres from the ball. Like, he's not away from the ball. He's literally wandering near the ball the whole time. You know, the only thing I can... It's not this because it's not near the dead ball line, but the, the only thing I can put it in, if I can't, if we can't explain it well, no. think about those dumb tries when someone's letting the ball go dead, but yeah. the opposition get there. But that's not, what it's like. You know when a fullback is... But that's the sort of the, the thing we're looking at where a ball's dribbling and the guy's just wandering near it, wandering near it, and someone comes through and pulls their pants down, just puts, puts yeah. it down, and everyone goes, what an idiot. Why has he done that? That's what it was like, except put that in the middle of the in goal. Like yeah. he's doing that, watching it, standing near it, but it's never going to go dead. It never looked like going dead. It had no prospect of going dead. And Schlossy just gets there and scores yeah. one of the most stunning tries you'll ever see. Um, Fatty gives one of the best pieces of commentary you'll ever see by really stumbling three times over trying to say persistence personified. <laughs> Talking about the Schlossy shoot. Persistence yeah. And then goes, oh, Shut up, Ray. Very close to a turn it up. We didn't quite Yeah, I thought, we I just for a second yeah. thought we were going to get a turn it up, you two. But yeah. that is then followed. Just we're as not a over. sign. Yeah. This is a sign of how wacky this game has all of a sudden gone. It's, it's a seed yeah. burst into flower. Because Anderson, Darren Anderson, into the side as a specialist goal kicker, according to our man, Paul the Fat mm-hmm. Man, Vorton, uh, he, he has a kick from in line with the left upright. He misses. Misses it totally. He doesn't, that, hit the uh, po- he doesn't even hit the post. He just misses. 
that was a bit much for me. I really lost my head at that point. Like really Likewise. badly lost my head. I really started like laughing out loud. Uh, that was beautiful. I couldn't miss that. Like I could not miss that goal. Having never kicked one in a game and not being able to play rugby league and having no athletic talent, I don't think you could miss that. Like it's ten meters out in line with the, the goalpost. He misses it by a distance. Yeah. Like, he really misses it heavily. Like there's a, I reckon he misses it by a meter. <laughs> it doesn't clean it up right Yeah, I had yeah, the privilege. Stunning. I had the privilege of being at uh, Stadium Australia for uh, the mm. uh, the Good Foran. Friday game mm. a couple of years ago when Foran put the ball under the crossbar from in front. Uh, that yeah. was fairly good. There's something about missing though that's somehow funnier, like actually, like going, yeah. like hitting it and hitting it true but wide. <laughs> like it's kind of, <laughs> it's somehow, like, it had the legs. <laughs> yeah, like he kicks it under the crossbar. That's very funny, but yeah. somehow hitting it. And just like completely duffing the angle is incredible. Because I the think angle it is, is bigger because, than, yeah. the, than the, like the angle to kick it is bigger than the angle to miss. I, well, it would have yeah, to, you, yeah. You can vaguely hit the ball badly and like stub your toe and kick it under or grub, mully grab it or something, which is still very funny. But to actually yeah. line up the kick and completely spray it off the middle of your foot, <laughs> though, yeah, isn't it? Like that's the thing. Yeah, it's very good. I, it's fantastic. And the, anyway, <laughs> and the commentators just go, oh, no. And there's a real sign of the gun that this is like the decay. This is like the low point of the whole ARL project. Like this is a final and you've got people dawdling after kicks, letting Schloss score and then kicks yeah. being missed from in front. Um, and sure enough, at, at shortly after this, uh, they get up there again, the mighty Gold Coast charges. Mm-hmm. And Wes Patton gets out of dummy half, jinx about a little bit and hits Graham Mackay straightening, who goes straight past geriatric slop guts, Mary McGregor, and slams the ball down in the in goal. And all of a sudden, yeah. Mackay kicks the goal. He replaces um, he replaces poor old specialist kicker Anderson. And it's 14-4. And the charges have yeah. kicked away. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned McGregor there because I had a few notes on him and was going to go easy. But given that you've doubled down, I may as well double down as well. Um, he... In this game, and he has one good moment later on, but at this point, he is like playing as a running 5'8", has stepped through the, into the line twice and thrown an offload dead forward twice. So steps into the line, has a guy hanging off him and just throws it forward to hand over possession twice. He um, he falls over when in the clear off the, um, off the line break. He misses the tackle for this try. And then in the start of the second half, he runs across field from 20 metres in from the sideline and runs so far across they'd mumble him in a touch. Yeah. And the commentators just consistently insist on going on with how they've got to get it to Barrett and McGregor. And it's terrible. This is the third game we've watched him in. Is it the third? Yeah, it's we've watched him in yeah, it's three 95, or four and, 95 origin. Yeah. Um, yeah, the 99 grand final. 99 grand final. And this, did, was he in one of the yeah. tests that we watched or not? No, I don't think so. So he... Yes. Yeah, look, I, I have to put it out there and say, um, you know, I've gone on record and a few other people and, and that's fine. I accept that we haven't seen his whole career. I accept, but we've now watched games in at 95, 97 and 99 and he's terrible in all of them, really bad. Um, he's really bad in this one. Like, it's noticeable. He keeps making calamitous errors and they just keep saying, oh, they've got to get it to McGregor. They've got to get it to McGregor. He's struggling. He's really, really bad. He plays like he coaches. Yeah. Well, having <laughs> seen him I can't as a say coach... Than that. No, no. And having, because I have a real set against him because of his coaching. And, mm. and that's really seeped into my view of him as a player. But there's a moment in the second half where he just gets steamrolled into touch. 
He takes this stupid yeah. crabbing, pointless run across the field, yeah. and about four cr- uh, charges come across and just drag him over the sideline. And I really went up for it. I was like, "Yeah, get that up, yeah." <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> um, one more thing on on the, on the hooking of, of the goal kicker. I just think we need to mention. So the man named in the number five was Plowman. Okay, so yes. Plowman is named in the five, but comes on in the forwards instead. Does. Comes <laughs> on the front rower. Yeah, it comes off of the front row and he's a Sherman tank. Yeah. <laughs> There's not many people who get named on the wing and end up coming on in the forwards in the history of the game. And Fatty at one point says, ah, oh, he's 195 kilos and charges like a rhino, which I, is just good commentary. classic commentary by the fat man. But yeah. um, I just wanted to, I think we had to mention that the named winger who was booted for the goal kicker actually played in the front row. That's good. That's really, really yeah. good. I. Yeah. yeah, there are a few things. There's also a moment where Patton slips over in front of a def- in front yep. of uh, I think uh, Seru, uh, yeah, Seru and gets yeah. penalised for tripping, which I was keen on. Um, yeah, fell over on the ground, full on jet, tripped him. Yeah, uh, and, and then that it takes runs. us about half time, doesn't it? It does, and and as yeah. they go in at half, I think it's just before half time. Um, Rabs again doing his best to whip the game up for Channel Nine says. I'm almost too frightened to call it a semi-final. <laughs> it's good that, isn't it? There's a lot of you could, there's a sense of jadedness in the game that that hasn't existed in any other time we've watched. Is there the, the way they're they they're dealing with this split comp? They sort of seem to all know that everything's not quite there, don't they? Um, they do. They do. And you can see why the '97 Grand Final is considered such a great game for the ARL, and why it was considered so important to the game because it's off the bat watching a game like that between a champion side like Manly and sort of up and coming guys like Johns and everything. When this is what you're watching, like this Every was week. a final yeah. to get to get that game, and you know even the Bears the nights the week before to get that exciting sort of yeah. game in a comp that had this in it as well, it, it, it was it was crucial because it doesn't always work out that way. There's plenty of years the grand finals are shit, you know. <laughs> they're yeah. not memorable and they're not good. And to get it at that time was just a godsend. Um, now, I have something very important that happens just after half time that isn't actually about the game that I okay. think is very important that we cover. And I'm sure you will have noted this. Uh, yeah. But uh, did you get on to... Uh, there's a couple of things all rolled into one here, but did you get on to Rab's um, advertising or talking up the Bears Roosters the following day? I did. I made, extensive, points. I made extensive yes, so notes I. about this. Yeah. Yes. So have I. So um, the first thing is that in one of the you talk about talking up the game. So so Rab's mentions that uh, you know don't forget tomorrow the Bears Roosters game has been moved to three thirty pm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get into why in a moment, but what, in one of the great lines in, in, in advertising, oh, yeah. Rabs tosses out, you'll almost be seeing it live. <laughs> well, fuck me, isn't that encouraging? What a this treat. It's a semi-final between two bloody, like, you know, um, foundation clubs. You'll almost be seeing it as it happens. Yeah, mm. isn't that wonderful? Mm. Oh, Jesus, it only happened a little while ago. Thanks very Thanks, much, Channel Nine. Thanks, guys. Packer, you dickhead. Like, <laughs> I can't cop that. You'll almost be seeing it live. It's just wonderful, isn't this it? This is like, the hangover, isn't it? Where, where before the internet and before paid television had really got in, like, got deep mm. in, when they could just do whatever they wanted with the games, right? Mm. Like, they just show them whatever yeah. they want because there was no accountability. There was no competition, right? Unless people no. wanted to slum it and listen on the radio, you just had to wear it. It was on when it, when they said it was on, and you had to cop it sweet. And I mean, and even that's, as that's, re- yeah, that's, and that's even as recently, important. yeah, it's just the like they just had all the power in this situation. And it was only in about ten years ago, or yeah. possibly less, when 
Twitter and people just kind of went a bit rogue and said, this is this four o'clock nonsense is appalling. This yeah. four o'clock on a Sunday game on delay where you get sort of 40 minutes of ads in the middle of the football um, is, is appalling and terrible to watch. And they finally bowed to pressure and changed it um, when they had Foxtel breathing down their neck to get the contract. But it is a real marker that they would be showing a final uh, at 3.30 and was supposed to be showing it at 4. They also advertised, cop this, and you can imagine me and you as kids, mm. Parramatta versus Newcastle on Saturday, on Sunday, second mm. versus third, they mm. advertise it for 5pm. That's just, that's just bullshit. It's, it's going to be on bullshit. telly after it's the full-time bullshit. siren. That's why I want. That's what I wanted to like. What I was going to say a minute ago. I don't want to get into a big rant about sort of capitalism and everything else. But what I can't cop is what I hate in our society, and what I cannot stand is the whooping up of people that have made money in businesses that basically can't fail. Like this, this, this idea that Kerry Packer was a genius and a mogul and all this stuff. As you said, there was no competition. There was only there was two, you couldn't start TV stations. There was no pay TV. It was only just starting. There was no internet. There was no you couldn't stream it online. He could show the game as you said whatever he wants it's not surprising he made money and he wasn't clever he did everything wrong with how he showed the football he did everything to make it undesirable and have the audiences low by showing him an hours after it was on on delay yeah. when the games were over in semi-finals advertising stuff like excitingly like you'll almost be seeing it live and he made money because there was no other way to watch the game and yeah. he wouldn't make a cent a dime cent now because he'd be trying to put it on at four o'clock and he would lose the damn rights because someone would show it live or I do what I do. I never, I've watched Channel 9 in five years. When they kept doing that, I started streaming it on my phone and watching Foxtel because yeah. the coverage is crap. And the, it's live now and I still won't watch it because it's crap. No, I watch it on Foxtel and I watch it on right. my phone. But that's what happens in everyone, in every industry. People go, oh, he made all this money, aren't they clever? No, he did everything wrong and did it because there was just no other way to watch football. So us poor idiots had to watch it. He wasn't yeah. clever. You know, no, you, you just didn't had do to anything smart. That's right. You just, you just had, had to make some money. That's yeah. right. And and as soon as, and Channel, as soon as there was some competition for showing football, and as soon as they've had to compete with Fox, the, the, the whole show has fallen apart. Oh, they've bled. They've bled. They've bled money. Nobody watches them. They're terrible. Nobody wants to watch them. The coverage is. And like Fox isn't perfect, but it's just it's not even a competition. The coverage they show on Fox is a hundred times better. It yeah. always has been. It's at a much higher standard. And and Channel they Nine is do, just falling down get, the gurgler. They don't slam ads at you during the play, all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. All the things that Nine um, do wrong, Fox worked out, and they and they they show that they do a much better job. And um, that's exactly right. Just this whipping of like these media moguls, like they were just geniuses when it's like, no, this you're was in a business that league. couldn't fail. Like people like and us also, we will always watch the football. We had no choice, but to watch football, like the people listening to this pod and you and I will never not watch the games. And they were the only ones showing it. It's not clever that they made money. No, it's that's right. no I, brain I couldn't part. agree with you more. I couldn't <laughs> agree. And, and the fact that, I mean, Packer, um, Packer, both with the cricket and with the rugby league, they ended up, they just handed him the keys. Like the, the rugby league, When one of the great stories of Super League is that he bowled into that meeting of all the club chairmen and said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, by the way, I paid $20 million for the pay TV rights to rugby league, just so you know. I've got the pay TV rights as well. I don't have a pay TV network, but I've got the rights. And all the clubs go, what? Hang on. There was no, Foxtel was never given a chance to bid for this, you know. And I'm the last person who'd be defending Fox, but it's just... You're right. That 
Channel, this is yet another example of how nine, during this era when there was no competition because people couldn't stream the games and all they could do was listen on the radio, that Channel 9 completely abused that power to, to show a terrible product on delay and cram it full of adverts. Um, the idea that you would show a semi-final at five o'clock, two hours after the scheduled kickoff time, is unbelievable. Yeah, um, it is. Anyway, we won't dwell on that, but you're absolutely no, right. I'm glad you brought it up. There's something we need to dwell on, though. Yes. There's something we very much need to dwell on. The reason and that, that is, they were showing it at the yes. earlier time of 3.30 on the yes. Saturday. So the reason they were showing it at 3.30 on the Saturday and not 4 is to facilitate an early cross to Princess Di's funeral. So let me run you through the schedule for that afternoon. 43.30. North versus, North versus the Roosters, yep. Yeah, news 5.30 and Diana's funeral from 6pm to 1am. Yeah, he says he speculates that we don't know how long it'll go, but it could go until the early hours of the morning. Could go until at least 1am. Jesus um, Christ, that's a long funeral. I don't know too much about funerals. I haven't been, actually haven't been to one, but I tell you what, I have to like them a lot to be sitting there from six to one. I, know, I don't ever like I mean, anyone that much. Jesus I, Christ, I think that's the, a long funeral. I think Princess Di's funeral uh, did rate fairly well in Australia. That I, I think it was, it was a pretty big to-do, but the, uh, I, yeah, I think this would have involved a procession to Westminster Abbey. Uh, and then the, the service itself, and then presumably another procession out of Westminster Abbey to somewhere else. I don't know. Uh, plus a lot of, you know, they always get those royal experts who kind of don't really know anything, but are happy to speculate about what Prince William might have had for breakfast that day. Uh, yeah. yeah, so I'd say there was a fair bit of that fopper as well. Um, yeah, I, I do have a, a point to make on that. And it's just that whilst I, I'm all for almost seeing the football live, and generally I can assure you that at any age, if the football was bumped half an hour earlier, I'd have been ardently pro that because I just used to wait for it to come on every Sunday yeah. to sit there or nothing. Um, nonetheless, I'm very adamantly against um, English royals moving the football time, like the football it's schedule bad, being moved for like the English Royals is, you know, like that's sort of the first, probably the first trigger to me being a Republican. Yeah. You know? it's, it's a like, bad, it's just, I, while, yeah. while in this specific instance, it had a positive yeah. impact. It sets a bad precedent. If, you know, Royal, Royal oh. events, like what if a Royal. If they had to move the football back. I'll yeah, exactly. Imagine if they started forget. at 430 because of Diana, that'd be the end exactly. of that. I would have I'll, yeah, I'll had some more royal funerals. I will never forget when Channel 9, uh, and this may bear out your thesis, I'll never forget when Channel 9 in 2006 started showing Sunday football at 6.30 in the evening because of the Commonwealth oh, Games. Oh, did they? Really? Yeah, they bumped the footy because of the Commonwealth Games. Oh, one, you, on, on the one hand, you have a sporting event being contested by the very best in the world. And on the other hand, you have the, the very best in the world in their field, mm. bar none. But on the other hand, you have the Commonwealth Games. And Channel yeah. 9 chose the latter and bumped the football, yeah. in, uh, bumped a three o'clock kickoff Sunday football game into the 6.30 in the evening slot. Well, there's nothing like there's nothing like uh, watching the swimming without without America and China, for example. Exactly, exactly like that. Well, the, know, athlete, the yeah, athletics, yeah, the athletics yeah. without America is always good. Uh, yeah, and a serious achievement for anyone involved. Anyway, mm. uh, I don't was Justin the, Norris still running around at that time? I'd say that he was still swimming. Right. I would have. I think that's a fair, yeah, fair argument. Yeah, maybe. possibly. Yeah, I, that's yeah. fair. Um, but I just <clears throat> anyway, I, I don't want to dwell on Channel Nine, but that is sick. All of that is sickening, and they should be held in contempt. Um, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, that happens immediately. So we spent a bit of time on that, but I think that had to be done because yeah. there's only so many times the football's been moved for Princess Diana's funeral. Um, to move back to the game, so we, uh, we've gone in at 14-4 and um, I suppose we get the first semblance of some sort of comeback, don't we, with a Trent Barrett try. Mm, which is a, it's a terrible and bizarre try in which he gets the ball at the line, runs on a 45-degree angle, uh, and it looks a bit like a glitch in a video game. Everybody just stands still, sort of just sort of watches him run past them. Poor old, uh, who is it, O'Reilly? Just runs away, Danny Moore style. Just turns, just sort of runs away from the man carrying the ball. Extreme, yeah. extreme sliding defence. And Barrett kind of just runs in a straight line and is untouched and runs about 20, 30 metres to score. Mm. Um, can I exclusively reveal that uh, I yeah. did this in the Hamilton Hawks touch football comp in about 2008, <laughs> uh, called into the side late to fill a gap uh, and very early in the game, got the ball run at an angle and just kind of, there was just no one in front of me and I went through and scored and I didn't have much pace. So uh, that's how easy it is. Yeah. yeah. You had a little bit less than Baz. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suppose a couple of things that need to be said on that try. Firstly, I just want to flag Sturlow drops one of the great Sturlowisms on this try and says the man, the most dangerous man is the man <laughs> of football. Yeah. Um, I live for him saying that. Uh, you know, Likewise. it's just always good. I don't think he's ever gone a fortnight without pointing that out. Um, he obviously, I, I, he, everyone says it's a shame he never coached. I think he would have struggled because just every time anyone fell for a dummy, he just would have imploded and had to say this, like in the, in the sheds. Yeah. Um, uh, and Barrett, I, I, I actually want to talk about Barrett. So Barrett's only 19 in this game. And I just want to say, I think he has a very good final 40 minutes. Um, I, he's a beautiful runner of the football. He obviously turns out to be a very exceptional football player. But, um, you know, he's, he's 19 playing in a semi-final. What I noticed a lot is it, we haven't made much... You can't analyse this game much, so we haven't. You know, we're talking about what happened, but trying to get a narrative is hard to go with. But what I will say is that in the last 40, Barrett's very dangerous. Um, he has a lovely hand in the next uh, try. He scores this one untouched. He has a beautiful two hands, actually, in the next try in getting down there. And he very nearly steals the game with a chip kick near the end that sort of bounces the ball, just robs him. Um, and... I think if I was going to properly analyse this game, I reckon what the Steelers really got wrong is they, they really bashed Barrett in the first half. The Chargers really went after him. I don't know if you saw this, but they were really stomping him. Like they were doing stuff like he'd get up to play the ball and they'd shove him over and then they'd stomp on his hands and they were like roughing him up and he'd pass the ball and they'd hit him after he played and all this sort of stuff that you could get away with in the 90s. They were really pegging this guy that with with Mary at 5'8", he was their real only outlet. Like Moon mm. was fullback, Mary's 5'8". And... I, the Steelers just sort of let them do it. You know what I mean? Like they, they were doing that yeah. niggly stuff. Like they'd, Barrett would make a tackle and they'd drag him back down on the ground and then sort of give him a shove while they were playing the ball and they were into him and decking him around and really taking him out of the game. And when it sort of comes out in the second half and they re-evaluate that, Barrett starts really troubling them. Like he's really, mm. really has a lot of big moments. And I reckon if you're going to actually try and analyse the game, you might say you got Craig Smith and a couple of these forwards out there probably needed to get a bit of a hold of the charges. And so, cause you used to be able to hit people and do stuff. And you know, hang on, yeah. like your halfback's 19 years off. old. Yeah. He's just out of high school last year and you just, you know, you take, you really actually mugging him out of the game. Yeah. Um, no, that's and, fair. And it, it's probably the, what they bug it up. Cause he really has some moments in the second half that show that he's quite a bit better than any other player on either team. 
You know, yeah, he's like isolated ones, but just out of his box, he just does stuff that you, no one else on the field was able to do. Yeah, he probably would have done with another half, like proper half, because he kicks dead a lot and does weird. He does, puts a lot of bad yeah. kicks in, and that kind of thing and wastes some opportunities. But he, you're right, yeah. he does. You can tell that he's got ability. Um, he yeah, also, I would say that he's, he's sort of at the point at 19 where like he wasn't really like leading a team at halfback and doing all the polish. He was an athletic, like like quite clearly a talent that was going to yeah. do individual things and that he does he that. But yeah, you're right. Couldn't really, be expecting him to, couldn't really be expecting him to steer a side around and win a final. Um, yeah, yeah. That's he also, yeah. there's a beautiful bit of commentary from Rabs who points out that Barrett is from Tamora, which is the home of many champions, both human and non-human, uh, most notably, the uh, the great pacer, pale face Adios. Um, <laughs> I was quite keen on. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think pale face Adios, for memory, um, won the Miracle Mile. I'll have to check it. Good. Yes, seen from tomorrow. Nineteen seventy six, the Miracle Mile, pale face Adios. Thanks very much. Um, but I just. Uh, I just thought that that had to, and the world record from a standing for a standing start twenty four hundred meters, uh, mm. the pale face. Yeah. Anyway, good. Uh, also good. from tomorrow, so a home of many champions, Trent Barrett yeah. and pale face Adios. Uh, Moon Moon misses the goal, uh, so it's fourteen eight at this point. And Bit of think, a theme there, missing the goal. Yeah, some of the goal kicking is putrid yeah. in this game. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to get a move on here, Gazzy. We've been talking about this game for hours. Um, yeah. But I can tell you that it looks like the Steelers are going to go on with it here and make a comeback, mm-hmm. except they don't because the Chargers get up the field in about five minutes later through a beautiful coat hanger from Brad McKay on Scott Sattler. Goddard gets in close to the line, jumps out and grubbers into the in goal. Scott Sattler falls on it. Possibly mm-hmm. Ted Goodwin's himself because he goes off immediately after yeah. this shaking his head. I think he might have gone head first into the, as we discussed, very, very hard mm-hmm. Parramatta Stadium turf. Brad McKay kicks the goal. Uh, sorry, Graham McKay kicks the goal, and it's twenty points to eight. Yeah. Uh, the charges. Two key, two key things here, just quickly, um, yes. because straight on that try in the fifty seventh minute. And I know you'd like to speed up, but I can't quite let this go. Um, two things immediately in the fifty seventh minute from that try, Sturlo says starts speculating that it's time for a field goal. I know it's good that isn't we it? We don't go through any any game without mentioning that. And secondly, from the kickoff. We get a call from Ray Warren, which I hope you got around this. Oh, Did yeah. Did you get around it? If we get cha- a... Yeah, go on. If, if, the charges, if the charges are next to score, that'll be it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At 28. 20 to 8 with uh, 20 minutes to go. He, I think he even apologises a bit and goes, well, it almost goes without saying, but then says <laughs> it. <laughs> If we oh, need, they need to be the next to score here. It's the reverse if they need to be next to score. It's a good little patch in the game, actually, because uh, there's also a promo. There's the promo for the Knights and Parramatta at 5 o'clock on Sunday. And then they also promo John Paul II versus Parramatta Marist in the Aussie Homelands yeah. Cup. Yeah. So that's That good. one was probably live. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, so that's all very good. And then David Manson does something very odd, which I have to mention. Uh, Ma and Goddard are called out for a spear yeah. tackle on John Cross. And David Manson physically grabs them by the shoulders and turns them around so that he can inspect their numbers. Yeah. And then weird. sends them back. I don't know what that was about. But then for a long time, nothing happened. And between the 56th minute and the 71st minute, yeah. um, the Steelers don't really amount a recovery. There's one, uh, there's one moment where Clifford's pushed in a touch trying to score. 
there's a glorious moment where Marty Bella drops it off a 20 tap. John Cross picks it up at the Steelers, throws it along the ground forward, and the, crushes, and the Chargers end up getting it back. And then in the 75th, uh, 71st oh, yeah, minute... And Fatty gives a he for that too. He does he Oh, Jeez, he speak to me. Yeah. he <laughs> And finally, in the 71st minute, the Steelers do have a go. They make a break downfield with some beautiful play by Trent Barrett. And then a couple of plays later, Paul McGregor takes a run. And for the first time in all three of the games we've watched, he does something useful. He flicks it back inside to Trent Barrett. Trent Barrett gives it to Cram from spider bait. And the Steelers are in. And it's 20 points to 12. Uh, a beautiful mo- <laughs> It's a beautiful moment for Scott Cram because uh, they immediately say that uh, he's done very well to be here having overcome some injuries. And Sterlow says he's very happy to see him out, uh, back out there. And uh, as he walks back from the kickoff, Cram immediately limps off <laughs> with, a, with what looks to be quite a serious leg injury. Um, so thanks very much for that piece of commentator's curse, Peter Sterling. Yeah. Uh, Cram really talked up as a prospect in this game quite a few times. That He played 23 games in 97 uh, and 17 games in 98 and then went to the London Broncos and was never seen at the NRL again. But um, it's 20 to 12 when he scores. And Bradstreet is put in as kicker and he puts it over and it's 20 to 14 with nine minutes to go and it's game on. And you think, here we come, here we go. This Steelers comeback talked about all game, despite the fact they keep dropping the ball. This will be it. But it isn't, is it? No, it doesn't really happen. There's no real signs it's going to happen. There's probably one moment uh, Barrett puts in a bloody beautiful chip kick that it just needs to bounce for him. Like he gets it over yeah. the defence well. He gets to it first and it sort of just, it sits up in a bounce, but it sits up in a way that floats a bit so that him and the fullback collide at the same time and, yeah. and he can't quite get it. Um, if it had it bounced a bit better, he might have had a chance to step the fullback and that was probably the moment. Um Pretty cool bit it of play. Have, it and, would have been a fairly good moment, yeah. can I say, if he'd have done that. Goodness yeah. me. Yeah, that's right. He's really Imagine. dragged him back in. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't happen. And it sort of goes back down uh, to the other end. Patton kicks a real Kurt Gidley field goal, like a real wonky, flat. It's horrible, isn't it? I love the field goal. Yeah, it was beautiful. Clears the bar um, by about an inch. Yeah, it shouldn't have. Like, it's point blank. He really should have kicked it a lot easier than that. But he gets it over, and that's all that matters. Um, and then we get sort of, in my, probably typifies the game, what happens yeah. at the end. Is that, you know, Jamie Goddard gets out of dummy half, kicks it um, from about halfway, and he kicks it to about the in goal. And he, we've talked about him being a really hard trier. Well, he, ch- he flogs after it. He chases it all the way down the field. Nobody else has chased it from his team either. Like, he just gets down there. The Steelers pick it up on the in goal. Goddard gets there first in defence. Um, and he tackles the guy, and the guy just drops it, just spills out, sits on the ground, and the charges just fall on it, yeah, put it down. And yeah. the um, 20 people in the crowd and all of the charges go absolutely mad uh, <laughs> and celebrate, and they've, they've won the game. And, you know, like, it, it's, it, they make fun of the moment because it typifies the Steelers and the game, but, you know, it does also typify why they won. You know, they, they put in. Like, that's the bottom line. They played. Illawarra didn't show up at all. They made a million mistakes, and the charges had a real crack, didn't they? And, and he, he kicked it. He chased the hell out of it. He put a shot on and, you know, come off. <laughs> and, well, and most of the time it doesn't. You chase that a hundred times and it doesn't come off. But 
he did, and it, and it did, and, and, and fair That's play it. to him. It, 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 he was there all game. He put in a kick for a try and, and that sort of thing, and those are the sorts of things they did all game. They, they chased that kick that Illawarra let bounce around the end goal, and they chased this one, and they, you know what I mean? Like, they, they, they put the effort in, and for whatever reason, Illawarra didn't. Um, it's a funny... Uh, to go a little bit off topic, can I make a point to you that yes. I watched this game and I got this sense. Now, we live in an era where we considered the early 2000s Dragons to be this real choker team. And we always, because it's the joint merger, we always consider that to be a St. George thing. Um, ah. There's a lot, of, a lot of evidence that given that this team contains Mary McGregor, Trent Barrett, Sean Timmons, and sort of all the beginning remnants and the coach... Um, Farrow, who goes on to coach the Dragons, there's a little bit of a sense that the bottle it, bottling it in finals thing might have come from Illawarra. Like, ah. it's quite a, like, I'm just putting it out there. I might sound a bit up, but like, this is a total botch and they're terrible. And just quite a few of these guys go over to the merger and be quite, you know, Farrow's their first coach, McGregor's their first captain or second captain, maybe after Coyne, and Barrett's their first superstar, and Timmons is one of their first... You know, I'm just saying, there's a lot of guys in this game that totally botch this that go on to quite badly get a reputation for botching finals they should win what at the merger, don't they? That's historical revision, right. isn't that? That's marvellous. I don't have any stats to back it, and I'm open to getting hate mail. Um, just, just a random thought bubble. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um... Well, I can also tell you about this try. You described it very well. It is literally just a kick downfield. Goddard gets there first and tackles old mate. Uh, it's Clifford who's coming away with the ball. And the ball just spews out for no reason. And it is picked up by John McKelleher yeah. uh, from the Gold Coast Chargers. And I can tell you that, they, that this moment was John McKelleher's final involvement in first grade. He never, he never played first grade again. He didn't even play the following week against the Roosters. A bit rough getting dropped after scoring a try of the last touch. He only played 30 first grade games across six seasons. Cronulla, 91 mm. to 93, played 10 games across three seasons. Then had uh, two years playing with Barrow in the UK. Good. And then came back in 96 to play for the Gold Coast. Played four games in 96, 16 games in 97 and scored his... Uh, fourth and final NRL ARL try in the semi-final on the big stage against Illawarra and uh, never played first grade again. Made it count, though. Made it count. Never forget. It's one more try in a final than most people will ever have. If he didn't get picked next week, like, go on changing the team. Like, you would have stick to the squad. <laughs> you would have thought so. I don't know what that was about, but I... <laughs> He, uh, I don't know if he was injured, but yeah, he won fairly comfortably in the semi-final. It's interesting that he thought he needed to swap the squad, the squad up the following week. Yeah, I don't know what that was about. I mean, they did. Uh, he was oh, uh, McKellar was on the bench, but yeah, didn't make it. Uh, didn't make it into the side. He was replaced by Damian Driscoll. So oh, there you go. go. Embarrassment of riches. But uh, yes, yeah, McKellar's moment there. A beautiful. It's a beautiful thing that. Uh, it's a beautiful thing, uh, Gazzy. I don't know about you. Uh, I should say that that was the that was the final touch of the match, and as you say, the uh, the charges go mad, the the people in the crowd go mad, the bloke in the crushers jersey goes mad. Um, Gold Coast twenty five, Illawarra fourteen, and they went on and lost the following week to the Roosters, and a year later were gone as a club. But but I don't know about you, I, the, the Gold Coast charges will live forever in my heart, as I suspect they will yours. Absolutely. Uh, I love them as a club. I love the colours. Uh, I love Wes Patton, uh, Phil Economides. It's a, Captain uh, Charger, a treasure. Obviously. Captain Charger, obviously. With the, the sock down his pants. Yeah. 
treasure time in the game. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of the Titans because they're you know, sort of stealing charges, thunder, and, you know, none of the Titans I am aware of have ever had a sock down their pants exactly. uh, while the gyrating. But exactly. um, you know what I might might do? If, if, if you've felt nice and wrapped up, why don't I leave you with a statistic I have here for you of every final score by a Gold Coast team, if you'd like to hear that. Go for it. You'd like to hear that. 97-25-14 win. 32-10 loss. Then they make the finals again in 2009 and lose 40 to 32. And oh. then 20. And Who then did they 20, lose 40 to 32 to in 2009. It might have been Brisbane, but don't quote me. But, um, and then they lose 27 to 2 the next week. Good. Um, they go back to the finals the next year and go out and win 28 16. Um, and then lose 32-6 in the prelim. Yeah. And uh, they then, in 2016, make a comeback to finals football and lose 44-28. <laughs> they are one from seven in, in, since 1988 to now, with a few years out of the competition in yeah. between. They are one from seven in finals. They've had 30 put on them, one, two, three, four times, 40 put on them twice, and a 27-2 um, yeah. for two... Sorry, yeah, two wins, two out of seven, I should say. So, two wins, one in '97 and one in 2010. So, I think you know, Viva to, La Gold Coast. I think you'd have to say an X factor in uh, in finals competition, the Gold Coast. Yeah, yeah fantastic, yeah. Gazzy. I don't know, but I, I loved watching this. I, we've really got into some good territory over the last few weeks of really odd games. Um, it feels a bit like coming home, but uh, yeah, long live the Chargers. That's all I can say, and long live Captain Charger. And long live uh, Stanley Steeler. And long live the Steelers. Is there anything to add to that? Long live Belgrave. Long, long live Red Star Belgrave. Red Star Belgrave. Yeah. And I hope that uh, I hope that if Phil Economides listens to this, he feels that we've done his legacy justice, uh, which is which really at the end of the day is all we've tried to do here on the Rugby League Cemetery. Gazzy, uh, we might leave it there. Phil, you will always have a treasured, treasured place in our cemetery. Absolutely. And in rugby league history, that's right. Morgan Campbell and Luke Garrity signing off from the Rugby League Cemetery.